The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. This is episode number 61, and I am your host, Sean Rapier. So glad you decided to join us again this week. We've got a fantastic show. Before we get into the show itself, you know, I received a few letters this week. Uh, thank you so much to those of you who take the time to write to me. It just means the world, and some of them are very personal. Others are just thoughts on the show, and I appreciate it. I wanted to share one this week that particularly touched my heart. I'm going to withhold the name because I didn't ask for permission to share the name, but uh, it reads like this. Dear Sean, I'm not even sure where to start. A little intro. I'm a Latter-day wife and a mother of three little saints. My journey as an adult in our faith has not been simple or easy or, quote, standard. I found your wonderful podcast last year. You had less than 10 episodes. I just want to say thank you. It's been a gift. I thank you for all your work. It's a highlight to each week. I've loved each episode, and I'm sure I have cried and laughed and come close to peeing myself sometimes listening to these awesome interviews. You know what? You and me both, actually. Um, I love learning about other members. I love hearing faith-building moments. I love making the connections we all have as children of Heavenly Father. I share your podcast with everyone I know who listens to podcasts. It has helped me connect with members in my ward. I love my brothers and sisters in my ward more because of what you've shared and the great guests you've had. Please note, we are listening. Keep going. This is a star in the vast podcasting universe, sending happiness and blessings your way. What a tremendous email that was. Thank you so much. It touched my heart and I replied back and I wanted to share it because of this. Uh, this, This listener said, uh, my path has not been normal or standard. Thank heavens. Thank heavens it hasn't been, right? I mean, that's what makes things interesting. And that's part of the reason for the show is you look at how many of us have such different paths in our lives that lead us back to the Savior. And I just love, love, love the faith shown by this listener. And what a wonderful message. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, on to the show this week. My guest uh, Kurt Frankham has been a friend and a mentor. He is one of the early pioneers in the Latter-day Saint podcasting movement. And I need to give a caveat before we start, because Kurt is the most amazing guy with so much energy. And when we recorded last week, I was in the middle of a brutal cold. And when I listen back to the episode, I'm definitely not my normal self in that interview. Thankfully, Kurt has enough energy for 10 of us. He is one of the smartest just best, most energetic, enthusiastic guys you'll ever hear. And his story is fantastic. And the things he does to build the kingdom. I just love Kurt and I'm so glad that he's here. And uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to tell you about something that happened 24 years ago that's especially relevant to me this week. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today it is my pleasure in the Latter-day Life studio, which is where we are now, to have a, an icon, literally an icon, <laughs> in the Latter-day oh Saint podcasting world, host of Leading LDS, 
We're going to talk all about that stuff. Kurt Frankham, welcome to the show. Wow, it is a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm typically in my own podcasting world, so it's fun to visit other other universes. Yeah, this is you get to you get to be here instead, so you know the process on all this. In fact, I'll let our audience know we've been having some technical <laughs> difficulties. Just getting yep. it up and running is a miracle. So it's, it's good to see other people struggle with this too. So gosh, this has I been think, good for me. I think all podcasters have their own technical issues at times. Yeah. It's good when it happens with this another podcast. This is how podcaster. we learn, Sean. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so Kurt was actually uh, in uh, very instrumental early on with the Latter-day Lives podcast. I reached out to you like one week after I had gotten started. Yeah. How many... How many letters or emails do you get of, hey, I'm going to start a podcast? You know, I get them from time to time. It's not to, it's not daily or weekly by any means. But, uh, you know, podcasting is such a fun medium, and, and it's becoming larger and larger. And so uh, everybody wants to get in and, and share their story or talk about a, a subject that they're passionate about. And so, uh, yeah, from time to time, I'll get individuals that uh, say, hey, how is it that you do that thing? How do you get it to show up on Apple Podcasts, on, on yeah. uh, Stitcher, on all these things? And so uh, I... I encourage them to walk, walk them through, but, but few last, and that's okay, like many projects. But you have lasted, Sean. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I've made it. I've made it past a year, which was amazing. Now, you have had more than 300 episodes yeah. of Leading LDS. So I want to hear all about it and how it all got started. But before we do, let's go back to a young Kurt Franklin. Oh, yes. 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 Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where yes. you grew up. So I grew up in uh, West Valley City, Utah, and yes. I was not a gangbanger. Uh, it, it's it's actually quite a nice place to raise a family, and uh, I, I made it out alive and, and yeah. well with no felonies on my record. And so it's funny West Valley has a little bit of a reputation, it does. Uh, you know, as being a tougher part of Utah. And I don't know if uh, you know, I don't know that it's always deserved. I've always had nice experiences yeah. there. I think the big it, it's I think well sometimes. I have to look at the recent statistics, but it's been the second largest city in Utah. And so there's just a lot of, of geography in that city. So there are some areas that are pretty rough. Um, but for the most part, yeah, there's it's a it's a great, great place in Utah in, in the Salt Lake Valley to live and, and grow up. It's so. awesome. How many siblings did you have? So I'm the youngest of four. I have two older brothers and a sister. Yeah. And so uh, and I'm sort of... Uh, I want to say the black sheep, but I turned out a little bit different. Let's just say they don't have their own podcast, <laughs> and nor do they have any interest in starting a podcast. But uh, nonetheless, I'm, uh, we're, we're all different in our, our different ways. But uh, yeah, but did you grow up in the church? Yeah, pretty typical, very traditional story. Baptized at eight. My dad was bishop growing up, and uh, I remember those experiences. And uh, you know, jumped through the the uh, youth hoops and deacon, teacher, priest. Went on did a mission. It all. Did it all and. Uh, and yeah, but uh, pretty pretty typical. I, and my my family's a bit uh, unique. A lot of people it makes my mom roll her eyes when they they say, "Oh, I wish we could. I wish our kids turned out like the Frankums." And and we're like, "Well, yeah. we're just you know we're just normal people. They're doing our best. It's not like they had something figured out." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know we're all very active. Me actually. When I was bishop, my two other brothers were bishop at the same time. No kidding, yeah. you're three bishops at the same three time. Bishops. So Sunday dinners were fun because we'd be like, <laughs> "What did you see this week? What happened in your yeah, world?" Right? And, yeah. But it was great. It was a special time of uh, in our in my relationship with my brothers when when that happened. And <clears throat> and uh, but so it's people awesome. sort of look like like we figured something out. But you know, we've we've got our own problems and st- struggles, as and all families do. Yeah. Right? So I mean, everybody does. Yeah. So now, also as a kid, though, you were an artist. 
from a young age. Yeah. When did you discover you were an artist? When when I wanted to draw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Oh, right. Of course. That's of how course. I made it through sacrament meetings. Uh, <laughs> it was drawing uh, Michelangelo and Donatello uh, in, in turtle form. And, you know, I just as a kid, like I think most kids, I just loved – I loved drawing. And, and I was enchanted by, uh, you know, Disney movies. You know, this I, I was uh, like eight when – Little Mermaid came out, and, and then that started this this uh, you know movie after movie of all these incredible Disney movies. Right. I was just enchanted by that art form, and I always dreamt of you know someday that I'm going to do that. I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw for for Disney and make these incredible. Uh, incredible movies and spoiler alert that is not what happened but not uh, where you ended up yeah but all of us i mean that's all of us we all have something as a kid that we think this is what i'm going to do is what i was born to do and then it turns out well we do something else we love no but you know i appreciate uh i I, that experience and the the talent it it developed and i went through through high school you know drawing and painting and i was the uh, i was the sterling scholar for granger high school in 2000 for visual art okay and the reason i was a sterling scholar is because i was the only person that applied to be the sterling (laughs) scholar absolutely because my brother who's a smarty pants he full ride to byu he's electrical engineer he was the sterling scholar in math Look and at what was, you can accomplish just when they say apply yourself. I know, right? What they literally mean is just apply. <laughs> I know. And, and so it came around and I found out nobody was applying. Like, I'm, I'm grabbing that. that uh, I'm all award. over it. Yeah. And so I, it's on, it was on every one of my college applications. And Sterling Scholar. That's Do you right. get anything for being a Sterling Scholar? Uh, your, your photo in the newspaper. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a big deal. Other than that... Uh, but that get, really is a big deal. I yeah. mean, you know, photo in the newspaper when you're that age. Yeah, it, it felt big. Huge. So. Was your mom super proud? Oh, of course. No, yeah. she's did you she's get wonderful. the did you get the sticker? My son is a Sterling Scholar or anything like <laughs> we that. We weren't the bumper sticker type, but yeah, uh, gotcha. but I'm sure that was, that was available. Yeah. So, so where'd you go after high school? So after high school, I went uh, I went to UVSC, which is now UVU, yep. to start yep. my journey on becoming a Disney animator. And uh, I was the younger in my grade, and you know, obviously at that time, uh, missions didn't happen until 19, so I spent a year there uh, with... How, how was your experience at UVSC, which is now UVU? You, it, it was, it was uh, nothing to note. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it so, was Well, fine, here's but... a question that ties back more into your leading LDS side. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I also had that year... You know, from turning 18, where you got to wait till you're 19 to go. Right. Now I watch our young men, because I've worked in young men quite a bit. I'm watching our young men that it's high school and they're putting in their papers. Yeah. Or it's pretty soon after for a lot of them. What What's your take on the difference between that one year gap that you and I had versus what, what young men face now? You know, it's... It's an interesting transition, and I, it's it's interesting to watch it now that we're a few years into this. Because I think about it myself, I, I I was so excited to go yeah. on a mission, and there's more story behind that. But I was I couldn't go soon enough, and I was the youngest in my in my grade, and so um, I was anxious to go. And so I know for a fact that if if I could have gone when I was 18, I would have gone, and it would have been yeah. But uh, at the same time. There, it was helpful for me to get out of the house for a year. Yeah, to spend a year. Yeah, feel like, yeah. understand what it's like being away from mommy for, for a good year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it was interesting. I had a, a roommate that had a Angel Moroni tattoo. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah, so, and it, I guess part of the story is I wanted, I'm a diehard BYU fan. I always wanted to go to BYU. Yeah. Uh, they've rejected me three times that I've tried. <laughs> so I went to UVSC sort of like, well, I'm going to get the Provo experience, right? Yeah. So I went down uh, to Provo, and I was in BYU housing. 
And uh, I remember the, the first day moving in, and this guy walks in. He was uh, he was like in his late twenties, had an Angel Moroni tattoo, and one day uh, he was a law. He was in his last year of law school at BYU. Uh, obviously, a very interesting character. Uh, I'll see if I can get him on the podcast for you. But, um, uh, <clears throat> nice guy, nonetheless. I don't. I'm not throwing judgment out there for his tattoos, it, 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 yeah. but it is unique to have an Angel Moroni. Yeah, an Angel tattoo. Moroni tattoo is very unique. And one day, I remember coming yeah. home from school. I walked in the door, and he. He had uh, all these calendars of uh, a temple calendar laid out and photocopies of the temple, and he was measuring the San Diego temple on his knee and thinking, well, I think it was like, you know what, maybe <laughs> if you're into tattoos, that's great, but how about, there are other ways to how about some barbed wire or something, you know, maybe leave the temple out off of your temple. You know? Oh, Anyways. that's so funny. So I had a unique experience that way, and sure. uh, and then I had another roommate that was had no no business living on his own. He had some mental uh, limitations that mm. I was quickly becoming his caretaker until I oh, called his family hard. and said, listen, this, yeah. you need to come pick him up. It's, yeah. This is not going to work. Um, so it was a good experience to just get out, understand what it's like to live on my own, to to take care of myself. And little did I know the impact that that, that first part of my mission would have. So it was very much needed. Where I don't, I'm not sure how well I would have done just running out of, uh, onto the airplane at 18. Yeah. I see some upside and some downside, you know, there's, on the one hand, I don't know if you did, I had some friends who probably would have gone at 18, but that year was a little bit limbo and it was kind of like, do I go to school? Do I not? Should I just work and save up? And I got to wait. And I had some friends who were ready to go. Yeah. And then in that year got a little bit lost and ended up not going. The flip side of it is you're a lot more mature at 19 than you are at 18. Yeah. You know, you've had that time. You're not swinging straight out of high school into the mission. So. Yeah, I think the the main focus there is just making sure that that, that uh, individual has a strong purpose in their life. You know, are they going to school? Are they? Yeah. I even interviewed one guy, uh, Jeff Thatcher, who um, talked about his youth experience, and he didn't want to go on a mission. So his parents made him go. I think he was like uh, in the Peace Corps or something. Like they they he they made him go somewhere. Smart. And do something, and he came back with so much purpose that he then served a mission. And so, I think the the trick is just making sure there's purpose because, like make you sure said, you're doing something. Yeah, yeah, you can get a job. You can sort of just hang out, waiting for that that birth date to come around, and then right. you sort of you fade or you lose it. So, yeah, that that's happened. Yeah. So tell us where you got called on your mission. So I got called to Sacramento, California, yes. uh, northern Mexico, as I sometimes call it. <laughs> I was Spanish speaking missionary, and I remember opening the call. I mean, and we were talking about this before uh, that it doesn't matter where you're getting sent there's always an applause always a cheer everybody's excited yeah and it's it always ends up being an amazing mission right and i remember opening it and reading sacramento california and just thinking well that's just down i-80 like yeah nine hours there. away like i it's literally one freeway from yeah, here like, absolutely you get on the 80 in salt lake and yeah. you get off in sacramento yep that's it so um i remember just sort of having this eh, okay, I guess I've been to California before, I can do this, yeah. right? And I was excited to speak Spanish and kind of add that to, to my, my skills, um, and and off I went. And, and during this, I was I was like, like I mentioned, I was so excited yeah. to be a missionary. I mean, That's I'm awesome. the, the typical, like, uh, you know, I hope they call me on a mission, right? <laughs> like, I was ready to go. I, had, I was the youngest of four, like I mentioned. I, all of them had gone. I've seen the pictures. I yeah. got the letters. All my friends had gone. And I'm like, okay. You're ready. You're ready. Now is my time. <laughs> and so I, uh, July 3rd, 2001, I entered the MTC, 
And up to that point, I mean, and back then they had the cry room, right? You remember the cry room? Of course. Yes. Yeah, they right. show the movie. They show the movie. They tell you what's going to happen. I don't even know if that's yeah. correct Japanese. But they, yeah. everybody's singing Called to Serve, right? And then they... Did they, you just quote from the Called to Serve VHS? Oh, yeah. That absolutely. is awesome. That it's was on a YouTube. great call out. <laughs> awesome. Susume is the only line I know yeah, from no, because I, of that right, movie. Right. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, get to the cry room. I was still sighing. My family's crying. I'm sort of getting teary. I'd be like, I'm, I'm there. I'm out. So, and it wasn't maybe an hour or two when suddenly the reality of my situation set in. Like, huh? Like, wow, my family really isn't here, and They're I don't gone. know these other people. And oh, I just, I think I want to go home now. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I, a lot of anxiety, yeah. coming through. And I remember those. And you have these long meetings, and time just slows down. Yeah. And. And everybody talks about, wow, those two years, they just, wow, they just zoom by, you know, wow. And there I am like, well, no, I'm day two, and this doesn't seem to be zooming by, you know? And it was tough. Those first weeks in the MTC, I remember I literally couldn't eat. Like, I would put food in my mouth, I would chew it, but my body would not allow me to swallow it. Wow. Like, I was just so much anxiety, homesickness. And I was, I remember uh, (laughs) one of my MTC teachers, you know, I'm learning Spanish, and he, uh, he he met with everybody in the class and, uh, you know, just going through some Spanish concepts. And uh, I remember he could – it was just boiling up. I felt it. I felt it. And all of a sudden, I just lost it, just no crying like a baby. Way. And, and this teacher's probably like, oh, my goodness, what is happening, right? So, he, well, I mean, the he, teachers are pretty young too. Right, yeah. yeah. But he handled it great, gave me a blessing. And, uh, and that was – I think – it got to a point I was holding so much emotion in, I needed a release. So that was, and that was like day four, right? Like, um, but anyways, I remember. Oh, Kurt, that's rough. I, I got, I, I uh, got through it. Two months pass. Okay, we're going to Sacramento, um, and and I get to Sacramento, and it was all those anxieties and feelings came rushing back, you know. Yeah. And I remember preparing for my mission. My um, the mission, uh, the Sacramento mission, sent out this letter saying, "Okay, we need you to." Box up all your bedding, your pillows, your sheets, your, your comforters. Send them out to Sacramento, and then they'll be there once you're th- done with the MTC. No and, I've never and, even heard of that. Yeah, so that's just what they did. So I remember showing up. I met my trainer, um, walk into our apartment, and there is this box that my mom had helped me pack uh, there on my bed. I'm like, okay, uh, I guess those are my sheets. I hate life right now, but at least I have somewhere to sleep. Like right? my own sheets. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, I'm just really having a hard time with, with uh, the transition of being a missionary. And, and so I open up this box and dump out my pillows, my, my sheets. And at the bottom of this box, there is a fun size M&M package, uh, peanut M&Ms with a note on it. So my mom had put oh, this in there. Oh, how nice. And I, right? It's sweet. So I pull it out and then it says, I'm so glad you are where you want to be. <laughs> love mom and i i threw that thing in the box i don't think i even ate those m&ms i was so mad I'm like this is not where i want to be where i want to be i want to be home this is not what i expected there's not these glorious experiences every every minute of the day not and to so, mention can i just say yeah. sacramento in august <laughs> oh that's a rough combination yeah. that's a hot place were, were you in sacramento proper uh so i started in stockton yeah oh so. gosh forget what i said about sacramento <laughs> right. stockton even harder yeah. were you driving because Stockton's yes, quite we're, spread out spanish missionaries we were we had a car so yeah. i had the car my home mission, did you but. spend a lot of time since you were spanish speaking in stockton i mean this is for people who don't know central valley california agriculture central mm-hmm. and and there are a lot of especially mexican workers who go mm-hmm. work on the farms and the dairy farms and the growers and everything else did you spend a lot of time with 
with Mexican immigrants. That oh way? yeah, absolutely. And incredible stories about, you know, their families back in Mexico and they come here every year and they, they work their heart out and send all the money back and they're just, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's inspiring stories for sure. So, um, but anyway, so I, I got, you know, as we all do, we get through the, the yeah, anxieties, the, the homesickness, yeah, right? True. And I remember, um, you know, flashing forward, I'm, I'm month 2021. I, I'm doing it. I mean, I'm in full missionary mode. Oh, yeah. I, I'm in my routine. I got the Spanish down. I'm doing great, right? So I'm serving as a district leader, and we're in this apartment. And there's another set of, of elders, and that they all, we are always in a, an apartment with with uh, two sets of, of missionaries. Um, and so I'm in this apartment, and there's this greenie in there. And, uh, you know, I'm his district leader, and I'm sort of keeping my eye on him. And I can tell one, one day during breakfast, I could just see it in his eyes. Yeah, the you same, know it's coming. Yeah. The same feelings I was going through. So I said, you know, we're going to do some exchanges today. So I'll go with uh, Elder Muffet, and uh, you can go with my companion. And, and uh, I remember uh, I just got him in the car. We drove a little bit, and then I pulled over. And I stopped the car, and I looked at him, and I said, this is not what you expected, huh? He's like, no. <laughs> this you're you're feeling a lot of uh, oh. hopelessness and sadness, and yeah, and you you want to go home, right? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And this was such a, a precious moment in my of my development as a person because it was like in that moment it wasn't necessarily a vision, but I could I could feel God reach into my soul and say, look what I look at what I made you into mm. becoming, and look how far you've come. Oh, that's look inspiring. what you are now. And it was such a, in my personal event, it was such a precious experience to Great moment. look at Elder Muffet and say, you know what, I feel home at Sacramento, and I promise you'll get there. Uh. And and it just was testament to me as I went home realizing, wow, you know, if I can just let, let go of some, of some of these personal anxieties and trust right. in the Lord, it's amazing what He can allow me to become. And so, oh, that's an awesome story. Obviously, I love I my love mission, that. I mean, what it did for me and what I became, and... Uh, and and really set me up for, for the life that I've lived so far. Yeah. So, so you come you come home from Sacramento. Uh, did you come back to Provo? So I came back. I did it another year at UVSC and got my associate's degree in art. And then I realized, okay, I'm not that good at art. I'm probably not gonna uh, make the ranks of the Disney animation. How did you studios. realize? Because you're an amazing artist. Is I, it just uh, economies of scale, like artists know I am where ama- their cap I, is? I, you can say I'm maybe an amazing caricature artist, okay. but uh, if as far as like drawing, I can't draw the same thing twice, and that's gotcha. very important okay. to be an animator. I get that. Right? And so I just thought, you know, I'm going to have to get real here. I don't want to be a starving artist. Uh, maybe I'll go into business. And again, that's when I got my third rejection from BYU, <laughs> and uh, so I swallowed my pride went to Salt Lake and attended the University of Utah as yep. a closet BYU fan. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever wear your BYU gear on U of U campus? No, even better. Okay. You, I wasn't planning <laughs> on telling you the story. Even better. So speaking of my art, um, I never I never wore a shirt. I mean, I wasn't looking to get mugged. Um, <laughs> but so I, I uh, you know, had the, the student, uh, what's it called? Uh, the University Chronicle, I think. It was just a student newspaper. Yeah. I opened up one day and I saw that somebody was doing uh, editorial cartoons. I'm like, oh, that looks fun. I, I want to do the editorial cartoons. So I contacted the paper and I started drawing two, three times a week a cartoon that they would print in the paper. Awesome. About editorial cartoon, uh, you know, about some subject in, in the news or yeah, on campus sure. or whatever. All right. I'm, you're going to get hate mail for, for me for this. <laughs> I would often hide a Y in every cartoon. No way. That's right. Like the the signature the, like BYU the signature Y, y the oh oval my Y, gosh. hidden in 
just to show my family and friends, like, check out what they printed. Look, That's right there, really I put a white. Right? All right, don't hate me. Uh, of course, University of Utah is wonderful, except yeah. in November's in the fall. But, you know, it's... That's it's so <laughs> funny. Anyway, so that's... Uh, so you graduated from the U. Yep, got a marketing degree in business. Yeah, where did that take you? Uh, took me to Young Living, one of the many multi-level yeah. marketing companies in uh, Utah County. Young Living is essential oils. Essential oils. They got huge fields. They do their own growing yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Well, yeah, I'm not not all they're growing, but no, yeah, they, they've but got no, some but farms. They do have some yeah, farms yeah. here. And yep. So I worked for their corporate office, and I traveled North America. And you were America. doing marketing? Well, I did. Uh, it was more of a, a sales role, I guess. So I, I traveled North America doing. Uh, I put on live presentations for all of their distributors across oh, gotcha. North America. So yeah. we uh, have an event in you know Oklahoma, and we get a hotel and rent out a conference room, and you know bring product. And I'd get yeah. up for ninety minutes, have a high energy presentation about yeah, yeah, yeah. check out lavender oil. Let's talk about lavender oil, and people yep. would shared testimonials and, and right. So I did that for three years, and I realized how much I. I hated being in a cubicle and I hated working for somebody else. And I, yeah. I just realized I'm not made for the nine to five punch the time card. And, and a lot of on. people aren't, it's yeah. not for everyone. Right. So I, uh, I then started, uh, with, uh, my, my old business partner, Tevia, we started a, well, he had it going already, but I joined forces with them, a web development company called Fiddler Online. <laughs> and, Tevia. Uh, Tevia, that's Tevia. right. So Tevia with Fiddler Online. You can tell he, uh, yes. he named the company. He embraces and, uh, his name. <laughs> that's right. And so I helped uh, consult with small businesses for five years on, on uh, websites, online marketing, and uh, that's yeah. what I did for five years. And then so you actually got to use your degree, which is great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not that I'd like, oh, I remember this class. I learned this thing. Yeah, now, but, but you know, yeah, yeah. But you I was got in the industry. You to justify your degree, which is Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. Now, at some point, I don't know when, when did you meet your wife? So we met, uh, this was when I started going to the, to the U, I was in a, a YSA ward, young single adult ward. At, we met at the Institute building at Salt Lake Community College, the Redwood mm. campus. And uh, I went there and we had a FHE activity playing volleyball, sand volleyball out in the, in the courtyard of the, the college there. And there was a cute curly haired, brown haired girl, um, Alana. And and I I saw her from a distance and time you stopped knew. and I knew it that in the happened. preexistence we had prompt no I'm just kidding um, <laughs> every stereotype <laughs> right. came out so I thought wow she's really cute I'm gonna I'm gonna do what any uh, young single adult would do and begin to stalk her we did not have uh, Facebook <laughs> at that time to do the stalking that way and I don't mean literally stalk yeah, her yeah sure um, so I went to the ward directory and I flipped through every page until I found her found an Alana and it said didn't know her last name. Alana Pilatus like I had no idea it was Alana Pilatus yeah. but um, so I knew her name and then fate would have it that next Sunday was fast and testimony meeting and we had the break your fast meal at the end, and there she was at the end of the line, all by herself. And oh, I, I introduced it was meant myself to be, and it was a potato bar. And we talked about how she is from Idaho and grew up on a potato farm, and uh, and that was where it all began. The rest is history. How That's long right. have you been married now? Twelve years, almost thirteen years. And you have kids. Uh, we have two kids: a boy, a three-year-old boy, and a six-year-old girl. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, they're wonderful. It's just so like the best. you're this young married couple. You've got this marketing stuff going on. you got mm-hmm. life. Life is kind of happening. Yeah. And then all of a sudden things get crazy and uh, you get a calling that changes everything. Right. So I was in that ward. They, they called me as the elders corn president. And this is really where the impetus of, of leading LDS 
begins because I had really no leadership experience up to this point. I'd been a district leader on my mission, yeah. but there was like three companions and you know, it's missionary. Yeah, you it's pretty, it's pretty run laid the district out meeting you. and yeah. you do your thing. And so this was really my first leadership calling. There was well over a hundred elders in my quorum, even though Dr. Incumbent says you should only have 96 in a quorum, but nonetheless, that is what it is. <laughs> and there I was, I want to do a good job. And I remember looking at the home teaching numbers and being like, oh, this is pathetic. I, I'm so glad they called me because I'm going to figure this out. I, they put the man in charge that, that's going to make a difference. They and patent in there. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a disaster. Okay. I like didn't delegate. I tried to do everything on my own. Um, I I remember I did the old uh, guilt trip lesson. We've all been in that. that yes, that, that lesson works before. so well. It works. I believe uh, guilt is one of the fruits of the spirit. In fact. Absolutely. It's one of the lesser known. So leverage that as much yes, as you can. Yes, make no. people feel guilty. That and makes I remember after back. all this hard work, home teaching percentage went it dropped a percentage. Like I didn't even, it didn't make a difference, oh, right? No. And so obviously we met Alana, we got married. And so I was released and we moved on for that ward. But I remember just looking back, like really discouraged, like, you know, I felt like, I felt like I was going to make a difference. Like I really tried hard, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't move the needle. But you, you didn't know? know how either. I didn't know how. Yeah. Right? And so we, we get married, we live in a, a basement shoebox for about a year. And then we we move we bought a condo we moved into this ward i remember showing up to the ward and the first thing i said to my wife is look how young the bishop is oh my goodness <laughs> and within, you should have never thought that right and then within a, a few months he, that bishop called me as his, ex, his executive secretary and then i went from executive secretary to second counselor and then his first counselor and then he was released and i got called as the high priest group leader and when i got called as the high priest group leader i thought oh no how old were you when you got called to be a high priest group leader? <laughs> I was 26 years old. You were a, in a normal married ward. You were a 26-year-old high priest group leader. Okay, this is the Lee Ward. And if you ask anybody from the Lee Ward, there's there's nothing normal about the Lee Ward. Okay? Gotcha. This is, this is, it was an inner city ward, just not a lot of older traditional established families. Not There's barely a youth program. I was going to say, I, we just, in our ward, I don't know that we've had a, back when there was a high priest group. Um, as it were, now that it's changed. Right. But I don't think we ever had a high priest group leader under about 65. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a definitely a unique experience yeah, for me. Yeah, and that's, that is really unique. Yeah. And I remember some of those feelings coming back from thinking, oh, you know, I've been a leader before. I got called as Elder president, and I really yeah. tried, and nothing happened. And so I was sort of like a bit anxious to approach this assignment because um, – you know, I didn't do a good job the last time, at least I thought so. And I couldn't understand why I could walk into Barnes and Noble and there'd be bookshelves full of books about uh, business leadership, about life leadership, about right. all, all these leadership topics, but nobody was talking about leadership in the context of the church. Um, That's sure, interesting. We yeah. have leadership, you know, meetings and yeah, talks. There, there but, are certainly trainings and there are, you know, there's the, the priesthood manual. Right. There are some things, but it doesn't talk about true leadership. Right. No, nobody's talking about how to motivate people. Nobody's talking about how to run a meeting. Nobody's talking yeah. about public speaking, right? And so I thought, well, I'm not an expert, but maybe I can create a platform and bring experts to that right. platform, and we can start talking about uh, leadership principles in the context of the church. So it was in 2010. I just started. It was just a blog and uh, a, a, a tight pad blog, and uh, I just started reading <laughs> books and I would read a business book and then think, okay, how does this apply to church leadership in, yeah. in that context? And so I would write up an article about that, and it just was sort of a slow go. And uh, during this time, uh, two years after being the high priest group leader, our bishop was called in the state presidency, and then the phone call came to me, and Boom. there I was walking in the state presidency's office receiving the call as, as a bishop. And so... 
And how old were you at this time? That, I was 28 at that time. So full family ward, you have now been, uh, you've been an elders quorum president, then you've been in a bishopric, high priest group leader, and now a bishop. Yeah. That is a whole lot of leadership at age 28. Oh, yeah. I, I was, and I was trying to take as much of it in as I could to try and figure this out. And, and being a bishop, and this is the thing, being a bishop is easily, and people are going to laugh when I say this, but easily the best calling in the church. It wow. is. You are literally, 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 you know, not so literally, but metaphorically standing on the sidelines of the atonement. Like what you get to see and mm. see people develop, it is, it's so rich. And so I, people always give me like, oh, you're a bishop. Like, oh, that's too bad. Ha ha ha. But yeah. I'd be like, you know what? If you ever get the opportunity, say yes. Oh, it is such awesome. a good, oppor- incredible opportunity. And so during this time, you know, as I'm trying to figure out leading LDS and produce content, I'm sort of blessed with this laboratory on the side of like, oh, I can, I can see this problem. Oh, I never saw, thought of that problem in the context of being bishop. And oh, my relief society president says she's experiencing this. So it was sort of gave me some content to think about and produce yeah. material around that um, people started to, to resonate with. And then uh, was, after five years as a bishop, I got called in the stake presidency and saw a whole new uh, perspective of leadership issues and, and problems that leaders face day to day that they're just yeah. sort of giving their best go at. And so in 2014, we started the podcast. And uh, like I said, we, we have, or like you mentioned, we have 300 plus, 300 episodes. plus episodes. And then we became a nonprofit organization, 501c3 in 2016. And uh, now we just continue to grow. And our mission is just to help uh, Latter-day Saint leaders feel more, like more confident leaders. And so what are, some, what are some of the other things you do? You have the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the other things that you do with Leading LDS? So we have uh, articles that come out, a few articles every week yeah. um, that if people would rather listen or read than listen. And then we put on uh, summits as well. So we did a whole summit about motivation because that was like the number one question people were asking us is, you know, I, I get my calling, I get what I'm supposed to do, but people just don't want to do it. I ask them to do something, they don't do it. <laughs> I ask them to sign up. They don't do it. Like, how do we motivate these people, right? And so I did a whole uh, virtual summit, just uh, basically a virtual conference about motivation. And then we, uh, last year, or I guess in March of this year, we did a the Teaching Saints virtual summit where we talked all about teaching and how to how can an everyday you know I, I may be a plumber Monday through Friday but I'm a gospel yeah. doctrine teacher on Sunday how can I develop my skills as a teacher to really uh, it, bring excitement and the spirit to that so we did 18 different interviews for, with people like Hank Smith and Jason Hewlett who you've had on yeah. the, the podcast um, and, and all these. Uh, established awesome. speakers or trainers or teachers and just ask them, how do we teach better? And how they, do we great content came teachers. out of that. Tell us about your 24-hour journey, your 24 hours of leadership, because <laughs> that was amazing to me. I mean, what you were able to put together was huge. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> so this is, I think, uh, last year for Giving Tuesday. So Giving Tuesday is after Black Friday, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving, yeah. and then there's Cyber, Cyber Monday, Monday and, Giving Tuesday. and then Giving Tuesday is where... Uh, basically turn the attention to nonprofits and giving back. And so for since we're a nonprofit, we want to participate in that. And so I thought, well, what I'm going to do is we have an audience all across the world. So I'm going to stay up for 24 hours, and every hour we're going to talk with a different leader in a different country. You kind of follow the time zones. Yeah. So I, I was up in the, <laughs> in the middle of the night so talking cool. with somebody in Russia. Uh, we talked with a few people in Africa, uh, Turkey. Um, I mean, we, we went around the globe with different people just hearing about how, how is it being a, an elder scorn president in, in Ghana or whatever yeah. it is, you know? So. And it was fascinating to me. I checked in several times in that 24 hours 
would tune in and first of all, I'd go, I can't believe Kurt's still up. It's amazing. But uh, but then secondly, it's interesting how the commonalities, first of all, how they're how many of them said, you know, here I am in this remote corner of the world. My problem is getting enough people to show up to a service project or getting enough people to do their home teaching at the time, you know, or ministering. Uh, but then also the different problems, things we wouldn't think of, you know, like um, leaders saying, well, you know, we have some members who live 100 miles from the chapel. Yeah. You know, things that certainly here in Utah would never dawn on me as that being an issue. Right. You know, or, hey, we don't have any young men in our ward. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's, there's, or one young man. We have one young man and we have to have a young men's program. It's just fascinating to hear. What are some of the common threads of challenges that you're hearing right now, maybe throughout the church? What are some challenges leaders are facing? You know, the big one, obviously, with the new uh, ministering program, you know, it's it shifted. We've we've had a tradition of, of home teaching and visiting teaching where individuals get the idea, okay, I, I know I'm supposed to go visit my family once a month and, and uh, you know, do that, that visit and then report it. And now it, it's the dynamic has changed where it's a lot of it's on the leader. Now you have to have interviews every quarter, right? The, the yeah. blue study president or elder scorn president and, and their counselors have these interviews. And now, but I, I feel like a lot of people uh, are just sort of sitting down with the, the other person and they're just saying, well, how are your families? Well, they're fine. Okay. I guess we're done here. And then, yeah. you know, but there's so much more uh, that can come out of that interview. Right. Um, with with understanding maybe how others are approaching it, certain questions you could ask. So we've spent a lot of time um, on that. We've, we've got a book on, on leading LDS called A Culture of Ministering where we go through, okay, here's some here's some ideas on, on organizing it. Here's on, on doing the ministering interview. And, and we try and accumulate all these ideas from, you know, talking to leaders across the world about how do you lead there and what can we learn from that. So. Yeah, that's just amazing. Yeah. And you get, I mean, the level of participation you get, we were talking earlier about how many listeners you have and just the number of people that engage with you. It's been incredible. Uh, do you have any that come to mind, any experiences or any like letters you've gotten or anything where, you know, people have kind of reached out to let you know that leading LDS really helped them? Yeah. You know, the first one that comes to mind, that's one of my favorites. Um, I went, I was in North Carolina for helping a, one of my consulting clients out there and uh, I, I let the, the audience know, hey, I'm going to be in North Carolina. I put up my newsletter. If you're, I'd love to meet you if you're in the area. And so this this one uh, former bishop reached out to me, and we went out to lunch, and he told me that um, he, he was bishop of his award, and then he got deployed to Iraq. Oh, wow. And so can you imagine going from you know being a bishop, totally immersed in the spirit, these incredible experiences, suddenly you're in the middle of this desert in a war zone. Yeah. Um, he, he said, I just felt so alienated. And he said, I listened to, to your podcast, and that helped me keep connected wow. to the spirit. And I was just like, okay, all right, I'm done here. Like that's, that's I feel like my awesome. mission is accomplished. Like it, it meant so much, you know, just to hear how people are benefiting from from the stories that we're sharing of, of leaders and and you know, about different concepts. Because the way I look at it is that I notice as a bishop, I didn't get a, I didn't get to prepare what I knew. Well, basically what I'm saying is you don't know what's going to walk into that bishop's office right. in any day. Yeah, you, you can't just, prep for it. You, get, you have a list of appointments, and uh, there you go. And I remember just feeling like someone would bring an issue, and I would just be like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> sure. And uh, and so what what we try and do is really – 
really target specific topics and issues that that a leader may face yeah. unexpectedly and talk about them, bring some context, context and resources to that uh, that concept, so that when they do face that that problem, objection, question, whatever it is, they can think back. Oh yeah, I remember those three things I learned on that that podcast or on that article, and, right? And just be better prepared yeah. for some of those things because there's some sticky situations. One of my favorite, I think my favorite thing about what you do is the How I Lead series. Mm-hmm. The How I Lead series to me is fascinating. I like it both from the point of view of when it's something that r- pertains to my calling, but even more so when it's not, when it's How I Lead as a Relief Society president or as a young women's advisor or things like that. Tell us a little bit about How I Lead, what those interviews are. Yeah, you know, I've heard Elder Holland say that the the lay, lay ministry of the church is one of the greatest modern-day miracles uh, of our time because, I mean, you, no other organization that I can think of really does what we do, where you could be, uh, you know, a comedian by day, Monday through Friday, or you could be an actor, or you could be a plumber, a, a mechanic, and then yeah. be asked to lead and to step in this role as the bishop, as the Relief Society president, right. as an elders corn president, whatever it is, and to see what that does for us as, as it gives us opportunity to, to make mistakes, to grow, to develop in those leadership capacities. And so um, early on, I was just so intrigued by how the other guy did it. And that's one thing uh, we, we didn't there, – there's no uh, connection. I mean, you can go to – if you're a, an elders quorum president, you can go to the, the next ward in your building and say, hey, elders quorum president, how, how did you handle this problem? Yeah. But it's so interesting to hear uh, how – Leaders across the world are approaching different different right. problems. Like uh, I interviewed a Relief Society president in Australia, and she has little Australian Aborigines in her ward, and um, and other people that would have to travel nine hours to church. Right? They would mm. come on late Friday. They'd stay all day Saturday, Sunday, and so by hearing not just how they solve th- that unique issue, but um, just hearing that they experience that, it, it allows you to step back and think, huh, like. I, I don't experience that, but that gives me an idea or some inspiration on this other issue I'm dealing with right. about fellowshipping or, you know, the importance of, of my quorum activity or whatever it is. And so uh, we just try and find everyday people. And it's it's interesting, you know, as you know, getting guests on a podcast is not as easy as it looks sometimes. <laughs> um, it can be very tricky. But and. But when you go to a normal guy and, or, or gal and say, I want to interview you, and they look at me like, what yeah. on earth would I have to say? And yeah, everybody says that. And I say, just trust me. I promise you there's something. And these interviews are remarkable. They are. That, that come out, and, and just sharing their experiences is really fulfilling. Yeah. And if people want to hear the interviews, uh, they can go wherever they get a podcast. If you're listening to our podcast, 99.99% chance that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find... Uh, Kurt's podcast. It's called Leading LDS. If you start typing in Leading LDS on Stitcher or on Apple or wherever, how else though can people get involved? You've got some leadership levels that people can get involved in it. Yeah. So we have uh, what are called core leaders. And basically, you know, this, there's not some uh, rich uncle behind the scenes that's uh, that's making this operation go. We we are a nonprofit, so we we function on on donations, and so we have our, our core leaders that are our monthly or yearly contributors, uh, subscribing contributors, and so uh, I, I and, I, and I'm intrigued by the idea of creating this organization all you know built by the people for the people or by the leaders yeah. for the leaders, and um, and so we have. Even one dollar donations coming from around the world, and uh, that that's it can be as little as one dollar or ten dollars or fifteen dollars, and 
Um, and then we try and create additional value and, and content for those that are helping us uh, build anything yeah. LDS. And this is not just lip service. I have been in the core leader program That's for right. we appreciate many it. months now because I believe in the mission. I, I just think it's really important. And I, I know that there are great resources within the church also, and more and more so. You know, we now have a once a month teacher training that mm-hmm. we didn't used to have, you know. Right. And, and But I think at the same time, maybe for, for elders, quorum presidents to be able to get together or Relief Society presidents or young women's presidents to be able to tune in and go, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah. Sometimes that's what's nice. When I listen to your podcast and I'll hear somebody say, hey, I have this young man that for two years we couldn't reach him. And here's what we did. Sometimes it helps me when I was in the young men's program, it would help me to think, oh, maybe there's something we can do. But it was also helpful to go, wow, we're not the only ones with young men we can't reach. We're not the only ones who have trouble getting enough people to show up to a service project or people to show up to a ward activity. It helps us kind of bond. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great missions I think that you guys accomplish. Yeah. No, I love that part. And, and you know, and I get those emails saying, you know, I did feel alone. And and I remember those moments as, as a bishop feeling. I, I, there's one moment in particular where I had just, uh, this is the my job before I, I started my own business where I got demoted and I just felt awful. Mm. And I showed up that night to do bishop appointments and I was just so drained. I remember shutting the door thinking, I wish I had a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was my own bishop. You really didn't have a yeah. bishop. You had the stake presidency. Right. But then the, the spirit reminded me, well, you have a stake president. So I went to the stake center and had a good chat with my my stake president. But uh, yeah, there's this, and and there's the quote that I use it uh, at the end of my of podcast yeah. by President Hinckley from a quote or from a talk that he gave at BYU in 19, I want to say 69, called The Loneliness of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And if you know a leader in your life, like just send them the link to that talk because you know, he talks about the loneliness of leadership for which we cannot shrink or, or run away. And there's just, there's such a loneliness of leadership, but I want the, the community of leaders in, in, in the gospel to know that we're, we're all, we're all in, in the dishes with them, you know, trying yeah. to figure it out and there's support and we're all, we're all praying for each other. It's one of my favorite things about our church. When I explain our lay ministry, it's so fascinating to me because like you said, we have the everyday nine to five guy whomever the 28-year-old could be the bishop or whatever. We also have CEOs of multi-billion dollar corporations working in the nursery, working in the library. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's incredible to see and to be able to see that one day, you know, you're doing whatever, right? Right, right now, my wife and I oversee the YSA. One day, you're overseeing the YSA and your program and your ward. The next day, you're a stake president. The next day, yeah, you're teaching the 10-year-olds. Like, mm-hmm. I love that so much. That it's not like you apply for jobs, you don't... I think it's really unique. Yeah, definitely inspired. No question, it's inspired, it's awesome. (laughs) We're starting to get a little bit tight on time, but I'm curious to know if you have one overriding piece of advice, the one that you give most often, like the one thing, if you could just say to all the leaders who are out there, is there one commonality or one thing that you hope that all lay leaders within the church know? Absolutely. My mind first goes to, um, we sometimes mix up the intentions of, of individuals. And so, for example, if there's a leader listening, maybe take a moment and think about that the big problem that you face, and a lot of times it comes down to they'll say, well, my people are, they're just not, the people I lead are just not motivated. Maybe mm. they're a little too lazy. They just don't understand. And as leaders, we often misunderstand motivation problems 
or, or we often misunderstand ability problems as motivation problems. When in reality, if we approach it saying not, oh, they're not motivated, how do I motivate them? But instead say, what skill or ability can I teach them or show them so that they're actually enabled to succeed? And so, um, and I hear it all the time is leaders talk about different issues they're, they're following. And I often ask them, do you think it's a motivational problem or do you think it's an ability problem? And nine times out of the 10, they say, motivational problem. I say, I promise you, if you go back and, huh. and approach it as an ability problem, you'll have all sorts of, of new ideas to approach it. And it could be as simple because a lot of times what happens, for instance, ministering. Well, my, my quorum or release side, they're not, they're not getting out and seeing people. They're not serving people. Well, is that a motivational problem or an ability problem? And a lot of people say, well, yeah, I mean, it's so easy. You just call them or text them or invite them over for, for game night. And I said, I, I promise you there's a certain uh, percentage of your quorum that's, that doesn't know how to make a phone call and invite them over to their house. They don't know how to host people in their house. They don't know how to yeah. – maybe they don't know how to send a text message, whatever it is. And so by stepping back and approaching problems first as an ability problem, I'm sure there's some motivational problems that are, exist there, but these people in this gospel, I mean – the, the gospel is is remarkable, and the saints that are there, and I promise you, they are very motivated people. And yeah. we should look at it as an ability problem first. Gosh, Kurt, that is so. It seems so simple as you're saying it, and I've heard you say that before. But for some reason, it's really hitting me that you know, yeah, I've been in callings where I didn't do it because I didn't know how to do it, or a home teaching situation where I wasn't sure what was going on with the family, so maybe I'm just not going to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to talk that through is what a great approach. I I want to make sure we get a plug for you because we do have a, you know, good number of listeners now. You so you do this basically. This is your full time job. I mean, you've left your job and mm-hmm. and you do this, but you do have a side job that's really really fun. <laughs> so I just want to make sure we get three minutes because there may be some people out there wanting to hire you. Tell us a little bit about Draw You Funny. <laughs> yeah, so if you go to Instagram and search for Draw You Funny, that's you is Y-O-U, just out, outspelled. Draw You Funny, and uh, two or three times a month, I get hired to be a caricature artist, and I go to corporate events, weddings, and uh, people, caricature art is interesting because people think like, oh, that's like an interesting idea, and well, so we're not do- hosting a carnival, so I don't know if it would be a good fit, but once they get me there, they see like... Just the, the the joy it brings to people yeah. as they sit down and they get to laugh at themselves and they're walking around the room comparing drawings and then they have a keepsake to take home from that event or and they're very party. exaggerated. You draw yeah. these incredibly <laughs> exaggerated, hilarious pictures. Yeah, and you can see the joy in people's faces. Yeah. So yeah, if you do have a a, a corporate party or, or I've even gone into on a Friday, gone to into a break room and and just set up my stuff and, and I draw them all digitally and print them out in, in color. And uh, they're, they're a lot of fun, and, and it's it's a fun way for me. It's, I love handing a character to somebody and seeing them just crack up. It's awesome. So people can find you there on Instagram, and mm-hmm. if people want to find out more about Leading LDS, what's the best way to find out about the organization of Leading LDS? Yeah, so obviously leadinglds.org, uh, or obviously subscribe to our, our podcast, and we have a great newsletter that we send out weekly with just different leadership thought and perspective um, and, uh, yeah, jump in and, and type in a topic that you're, or, or pick, select your calling on the website and see the content there. And I, and I promise you it, it will help your, your leadership. Awesome. awesome. Kurt, you've been a great mentor for me, as I've mentioned on this show before, and you've kind of paved the way you were an early one with the, uh, with the podcasts. I don't know that there are many, uh, Latter-day Saint focused podcasts <laughs> running longer than yours. You were on the cutting edge of the podcast movement. So what you do is so inspiring and so fantastic, and 
we're going to wrap it up with the question we ask all of our guests. This will be interesting to me. I've always, I've always wanted to ask you this question, <laughs> okay. which is, Kurt, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Being a member of the church means to me, well, I mean, it brings meaning into all, all things of, of life. Uh, the fact that we had a Savior come to this world live, teach us incredible teachings, and then give the ultimate sacrifice and atone for our sins. It's just remarkable, and understanding His grace. And I remember oftentimes as a bishop, uh, you know, it's such a unique opportunity to be in a calling where an individual comes in and they'll share something they're they're so ashamed of or they're they're so embarrassed by, but they know that they they have to they need to share that with their priesthood leader to uh, to move forward with that repentance process. And I'd often look at them and, and say, "Isn't it remarkable?" that we have the atonement of Jesus Christ, or we'd have nothing to talk about yeah. here. Not only would your soul be lost, my soul would be lost. Oh, and, love it. and that brings so much meaning into my life, knowing that, you know, regardless of whatever you've done, there's always hope. There's always a way out. There's always a next step. And what, whatever you're dealing with, the Savior has dealt with it. And to me, His grace just fills my life with meaning. Ah, it's awesome. Kurt, thank you so much. Uh, so Kurt Frankum, artist, first off, because you started doing that at an early age, but a true leader, a podcaster, and a servant all at once. Thank you for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. My special thanks to my dear friend, Kurt Frankham. As I mentioned, the enthusiasm and energy that man has for the gospel, isn't he amazing? And if you are not listening to Leading LDS, I highly recommend it. The number of things you will pick up, whatever your calling is, and I'll listen to episodes with a Relief Society president or a young women's president or a bishop or things that maybe don't pertain to me. Oh, I learned so much. There are so many good saints out there doing such great work. Thank you again, Kurt, for all of the awesome stuff you do and for being on the show. I appreciate it. Okay, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, it's an interesting day, September 17th, which is the date of release of this episode. 24 years ago, on this exact date, I married my wife. This is our 24th anniversary today, as of the day of the airing of this episode. And a couple of thoughts from that. A few weeks ago, I was with a friend of mine, dear friend, who is uh, somewhat of a newlywed. He's been married just over a year, and we were talking about how you build a family culture. And he was talking about what he and his wife have in common and what they don't have in common, and kind of how do they have their own lives for themselves and their identity as a a marriage. And we started kind of sharing some of the things we have in, in common. And a little bit about my wife. First of all, I love doing this. I love doing the podcast, and I'm happy to be on camera or in front of a microphone or whatever it is. I have had several requests for my wife to be on the show. It'll probably never, ever, ever happen. She is so much happier behind the scenes. Uh, She is not the type of person to put herself out there and does not enjoy being in public or speaking in public. That's not her way. She is a true servant. She likes to be behind the scenes doing real work. A couple things uh, about my wife as well. Uh, You all know that I love Disneyland. I've talked about it many times. My wife does not care for Disneyland. Not her favorite thing. My wife loves to camp. She loves being in the outdoors. And guess what? That's not my favorite thing. 
And I like certain shows. I like competition and sports and reality shows where people are competing for something. And my wife really enjoys dramas. And uh, I like certain kinds of books, especially political books. I read a lot of those. And my wife enjoys other kinds of books, uh, more things about the church. And we really don't have a lot in our day-to-day lives in common. My wife is working on her doctorate degree, and I have zero interest in school or education. She's an occupational therapist, which is a very specialized, somewhat medical degree, And I know nothing about that world. And I love going into my job and sales meetings. And boy, the thought for her of having to present in front of a bunch of people and convince them to buy something, she would just pass. We have so few things in common. Uh, Even our music, we, we have so little music that we both like. But there are a few things that my wife have in common. And that is that my wife loves our children. And I love our children. And my wife loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my wife loves me. And I love her. I love her so much that once a year or so, I go camping. And once every couple of years, my wife goes to Disneyland with me. And sometimes my wife will let me put on punk rock music in the house. And sometimes I'll let her put folk music on in the house. And sometimes I'll watch a movie, like a romantic movie with her. And sometimes she'll watch an action movie with me. And every once in a while, my wife will sit down with me while I watch a Laker game. Because we love each other. And our foundation is based in the things of the gospel. And when I watch my wife faithfully serve, I fall in love with her more every single day as she teaches our kids about the gospel of Jesus Christ, as she teaches our kids about being a good human being and about serving, all these other things, the other stuff is just noise. I'm pretty sure if there was a compatibility test to being married, my wife and I would fail miserably. But I love what makes her her. And she loves what makes me me. And we don't try to change each other. We embrace each other But again, our foundation is built on this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we've been married for 24 years, still going strong. And our plan, and so far so good, is to be married for the eternities with our seven beautiful children and our posterity. And I am so grateful for that. So to my wife, happy anniversary. She will be more embarrassed that I'm even talking about her than I ever get actually being the one talking. But happy anniversary, sweetheart. I sure love you. And that is what is going on this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to remind you that we're not only doing this uh, on podcast, which you can certainly listen to the audio, uh, but also the video. We have the video going on Facebook um, as well as in YouTube. Uh, you just got to search for Latter-day Lives. If you're not following us on Facebook, that's where we do most of our updates. Please come follow us. We put up a lot of fun stuff from our guests. So until next week, when we've got another wonderful episode for you, please remember, as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. 